The following podcast is a production of the Washington College of Law at American University. Any unauthorized use or distribution is strictly prohibited. Welcome all. My name is Jeremy Mom. I'm one of the legal editors of Veterans here. Um, with me tonight for this uh, workshop on effective writing samples and getting a look at your summer experience are Matthew Pascal of the Office of Career Services and Miguel Martinez, who is a third year law student here. Um, and uh, later on, Miguel will share some of his tips for getting the most out of your summer experience. Uh, Miguel is also one of our coordinating meetings all the growth. Now, you've asked me about sign sheets. I'm going to send around three copies of the sign sheets. Okay, these sites your name will already be printed on it, or should already be printed on it if you're in one of the final sections for which uh, you know, you're assigned to this workshop. Just find your name and sign in. Um, these are identical. Go have some front and back. If you are not, if you gain pre-clearance to come here by emailing Professor Diller, she will clear you. You will also find your name there. If it's not there, well, go ahead and sign it anyway, and then we'll talk <laughs> maybe afterwards about what brought you here today. Um, okay. But for those entering late, again, come on in, find seats. There are handouts uh, at the at the front of each aisle, and I will. Let's see. Um. <clears throat> What we thought we'd do, this, there's sort of two, you know, two big topics here, as I said. Uh, coming up with an effective writing sample and getting the most out of your summer experience. And I'm going to begin, and, and we'll probably just sort of talk a little bit about, um, about these topics, with some of the information that begins on, I guess it's uh, the first numbered page, page one of the handout, about picking the, correct, picking the right writing sample. Um, and that's critically important. Picking the right writing sample shows a prospective employer that you understand the nature of the job that you're applying for. Um, I sometimes see law students, they're usually second year law students, who have just finished writing their comment for one of WCL's law journals, and they really want to send in their comment as a writing sample. What's comment, for those of you who don't know? There's a law review article. Thank you, sir, in the back. It's a law review article. Okay. For most positions that you would be applying for as a second year, I'm sorry, as a rising second year law student or even a rising third year law student, um, you're not going to be writing law review articles. You're going to be writing research memos or briefs or, you know, probably even things that are, uh, you know, maybe even less formal than that. So a good writing sample is a writing sample that models the work that you would be expected to do. So for you guys... <coughs> Any of your memos that you do for legal rhetoric, either of the persuasive documents that you'll write this semester for legal rhetoric, um, those things are great. Okay? Um, let's see. The next bullet point that I have here, this is one that a lot of students uh, uh, won't think about. This will be for after whatever you do this summer or next summer. If you come up with, if you get to write a, you know, a really cool research memo during your summer job, don't just assume that you're going to use that as a writing sample. Get clearance for that and make sure that when you use it as a writing sample that you make the people to whom you're sending it understand that you've gotten clearance. Why would you care about something like that? Yeah. Uh, might be confidential. It may be work product, attorney work product, right? It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the attorney who supervised you in its preparation. Okay? And I can tell you that nothing will disqualify you from 
faster than inadvertently disclosing work product. Um, the, the war story that I always have about this is I was involved in hiring my replacement at the last you know, law firm that I worked at. And something came, a writing sample came with a resume from a firm that we were familiar with in the area. And the, uh, it, it was a memo. It was a research memo. You know, this is an internal document. It's a confidential document. So not only did we not hire that person, but as you really should do when you have, you know, when something that, that you shouldn't get comes into your possession that's confidential, you ring the people who own the document, namely that candidate's um, present, then present employer, and said, hey, you know, we've got work product of yours that wound up in one of your associate's writing samples. Whether that associate was subsequently fired from his job, I don't know. Certainly, had he been working for me, he would have been. Okay? Don't make that mistake. I would add to that, Jeremy, that um, it raises ethical concerns as yep. well. I mean, you're, you're, you're basically creating, um, committing malpractice before you've even gotten into the practice of law. So it is as serious as that, in addition to showing an absolute lack of judgment. Um, work product, as Jeremy said, is, is the product of, your, of the um, organization or firm for whom you work, and it's not your own. And it certainly belongs to your client as well. So. Yeah. And actually, if I can interrupt my, um, ourselves for just a second, we've got some folks coming in late. Can we take some of these, um, these handouts and pass them back to people sitting in the back? Also, there are plenty of seats down in front. Guys, don't be bashful. Okay. But did you talk, did you talk about redacting and, and, and yeah. being able to use that but in an appropriate way? Right. Absolutely. Um, let's see. Uh, if you do get something out of one of your jobs this summer, and, I'm, and I'm just, we're just moving ahead and we're assuming you guys are all going to do something law-related this summer, which you know, may or may not be true. There, you shouldn't feel that you absolutely have to after your first year summer. Many of you will, some of you won't. Okay. So in your second year summer, the chances are you can do something law-related. If you need to... Um, but the note in the, in, the, uh, in, in the handout is make sure you get permission if you're going to use something that you do at work. Part of getting permission may be that you'll be asked to redact confidential information, to change the names of parties, to delete identifying information, maybe even to sort of, you know, doctor up the document, to, to fictionalize it in ways that, that remove identifying characteristics. Um, that's, that's easy enough to do, and um, certainly if you ask your supervisors, they may just say, well, just change the names. Um, but, uh, you know, that is, that, that's, that is one of the things that you can do to, to take something that actually is work product, and assuming you get permission, you know, certainly present it as, as a writing sample later on. Um, the third bullet point here is a note about your writing sample should reflect your own work. Now, we here at Washington College of Law take that to mean, you know, it uh, doesn't have to be the paper, the rough paper that you turn in for one of your professors. You can take your professor's feedback on it and make edits. I mean, that's still your work. Just as if you were working for someone in a law firm and they were giving you comments as you were going along, you know, you're still writing the memo or the brief or whatever it is that they're, that they're having you do. Um, you can certainly ask, I think, uh, people in the rhetoric department to, if you have sort of additional questions about how to turn a uh, document that you've prepared for your class into a, a good writing sample. Um, we're certainly all available, all the full-time folks and, and uh, dean fellows as well, um, are available to talk to you uh, uh, about things like that. Um, and one of the big questions that comes up, and we'll get to it in a second, is um, uh, is uh, what to cut if you've got a, a, a document that's a little bit long. Um, but we can certainly talk to you about that. Matthew, what's your sense of, um, I mean, is that, that's the way we just always operated. Does that seem to be working for our students? I don't, I don't know. In terms of uh, the, the taking edited work, I mean, if 
we had we haven't had anyone say anything about that, right? No, the only the only caveat with the um, edit, edit, working with edits is, uh, as Jeremy said, um, making sh if the unless the edits are um, actual work products, some you know, some sometimes employers will edit in such a way that they're over over teaching you. Sometimes uh, I've seen lawyers, especially sort of um, especially frustrated professors, and they want to go in there and yeah. um, and rewrite it a little bit uh, for your be on your be for your behalf for your benefit. So if you're incorporating as part of these edits someone else's work product where they're actually are rewriting it instead of instructing you what needs to be rewritten, then you have a, a difference in work product there. Then it doesn't become uh, completely your work product. Then you have something that's been um, revised, quite frankly, by, by the judge or by the employer. So that, that's the sort of the bright line that I would, I would use to, um, um, to analyze whether or not this, this edited document remains your work product exclusively um, or uh, almost a combined work product. Yeah, and, and I would say that, you know, I, as I look at the feedback that most, because, you know, we see each other's papers in rhetoric, as I look at the feedback that, that most rhetoric professors give, even the ones who, you know, relatively speaking, they make a lot of notes on, on the documents, I don't think it rises to that level in most, in most cases. Usually they're also instructive. But, and this sort of dovetails with the next point, um, don't take the marks that your professor makes on one of your memos as exhaustive. Um, I tell my students this, they're meant to be um, instructive rather than exhaustive, and, and for my students, you know that at a certain point I may stop making notes, and it's just sort of like there's a circle you know, something that I thought was wrong. Well, don't expect that everything, you know, that I circle every little thing that's wrong, right? Um, and you, so you should continue to proofread your document. Um, sometimes that can be a little bit painful. You go back and you read something that you wrote, maybe sometimes that you revised at the last minute, and you'll find mistakes and sort of kick yourself for them. But you know what? It's an opportunity to fix them and to, you know, to, to put out a good writing sample. And I guess, you know, we've sort of been talking here, just getting into it very quickly about having a good writing sample and what you need to, to, to make it a good writing sample. Um, I don't want to belabor the point about how important a writing sample is. Um, I can tell you that anecdotally we have heard from a number of employers in this area um, who are hiring students from WCL who didn't hire from WCL five and ten years ago, that it's basically due to the quality of your writing. Okay? Um, there's a, there is... And, you know, I'll hear, I, I'll hear anecdotal reports that go the other way as well, quite, to, be, to be perfectly candid. But there's a, I at least am hearing um, a fairly strong um, and, con and fairly consistent message that when you guys go out into the, into, to look for jobs, um, that your writing samples look better. Um, and I don't know, Matthew, have you been... Yeah, that, I would concur with that. Um, it is, especially for one, well, I should say especially for 1Ls and 2Ls, but, well, actually especially for 1Ls because you don't have a tremendous um, grade repertoire to offer, so really the writing is the epicenter of your propensity to do well in this organization um, in terms of your analytical skills and your ability to, to, um, to communicate that on paper. Um, oral communication being a very important secondary to that, but that's really that's what they're looking for. That's that's the focal point. That's all they have really to go by. Maybe a couple of grades at this point. So quite important. Um, which sort of gets to, to big bullet point or big uh, I guess Roman numeral two. Roman numeral Roman numeral two. God, I can't talk. Um, you know, make sure your stuff is flawless. Yes, I can write sort of. Um, make sure that your stuff is flawless. Make sure that you're writing sample, or as close to flawless as is humanly possible, right? You know, I mean, 
it's a competitive market out there, especially if you want to work in Washington, D.C. People from law schools all over the country and all over the world, right, want to work in this area. Um, and, you know, you don't want to have the, the, the embarrassing typographical error in the middle of your cover letter. God forbid you misspell the name of the person to whom you're sending your cover letter. Okay. Happens, right? You misspell the name of the law firm. Happens. Um, we did a cover letter assignment, or we did, I'm sorry, we did a client advice letter assignment last semester. We used to do cover letter assignments. I've seen student cover letter assignments where the law firm names were misspelled. Now, what do you think happens to the student in real life who, who does that? Well, it's just, it's an easy, it's an easy, you know, we don't need to interview this person. So, goes without saying, make it flawless. Um, point three, this is one that may be a little, a little sort of non-obvious. I am a huge fan of using cover pages on writing samples. This is the place where if, if you are using a document that you have gotten from uh, work experience, something that's not a school assignment, that you can indicate that you've obtained permission from your supervising attorney um, to, use that, to use that document. Conversely, if it's an assignment that you've written for law school, that's the place where you can say, you know, this is a memorandum that I wrote for my legal work class. And then the employer will know that you just didn't take something that you wrote, you know, as a first-year student, you wouldn't have a, uh, you know, a, a law job, but something that you wrote, you know, in your summer job or during an externship. Okay? It clearly indicates to the reader the, the, the origins of the document. First thing that a good, that a good cover note should do. Also then, a good cover note should explain to, you know, and very succinctly, just a couple of sentences, should explain to the prospective employer, um, you know, anything that you need to the, the person to know about the document. If you've had to cut the document for length, you explain that you cut it. And usually it's nice to offer to send the entire document. Um, at least I think. I don't, I don't know. Um, if you have uh, omitted facts, which is sometimes something you can do to, to really cut a document, uh, you may include a line or two or three uh, brief sort of factual summary, um, you know, to, so that the reader will be able to understand um, what you are, uh, what you're writing about. My writing sample, my short writing sample, is actually discovery motion um, that um, was in a case where there was a case, well, there was a case management order that mandated that interrogatories be stapled in the middle of discovery motions. And so my cover note explains that the interrogatories, that I've omitted the interrogatories, and that the references to blue pages in the document are to those interrogatories and that they've been, and that they've been omitted. Just whatever little things you need to say to make it clear what it is you're presenting. If you can skip ahead. If I may just add one other point to that, that preliminary page, to the extent that um, at next year, well, you won't have such uh, pieces this year, but as you accumulate ex legal experience out there, you might have a good advocacy piece that's a great writing sample, but that expresses or that advocates on, a, um, on behalf of something that doesn't necessarily reflect your views. I would use that preliminary page to put that into perspective, um, especially where those views might be um, you know, sort of inflammatory or you know, highly charged politically, et cetera. Um, you want to just express that this was... Um, the, uh, I was, this was an assignment requiring my advocating this position. It does not necessarily uh, reflect my, my beliefs or opinions. Yeah, and usually the, the sort of the easy and elegant way to do that, because for most of you this is what's going to happen. I know when I assign sides in the, the appellate brief assignment, you know, I say, does anyone have a strong moral objection to representing side X? And if nobody does, then it's usually, I don't know, the first half of the alphabet are 
appellants in the second half are, are appellees, basically. Um, so, you know, the easy and elegant way to do it is, 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 if this is the case, is I was assigned to write, you know, this side, okay? And that's, everyone understands, as we know from the Aluto hearings, then you're just an advocate, and it really doesn't matter what, you, what, your, uh, what your opinion is. Okay, um, sorry. Uh, this is the part four here is, um, Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I, I wanted you guys to, to, to turn ahead for a second to the, um, the third page, which is unnumbered. And it has a model of one of these cover notes. Um, I think this one is okay. I would note that it isn't always the case that you would have both your current address and your permanent address on your resume. I mean, that's your judgment call, right? But um, what I like about this cover note is I'm assuming that this is the same header information that the author has on his or her resume. And I think if you have a cover note, and this cover note should be on regular paper, on the same paper that you would put your writing sample on, um, you just staple the cover note to the front, of your, of the front of your writing sample. And frankly, if you had a list of references, same header on your list of references as well. You, you're starting to produce a package that, has, that looks consistent and professional okay, by using the same header. So that's why I'm, I'm a fan of, of continuing to have that information. I'm also a fan of putting your, um, in the header, you know, take out that legal rhetoric section number um, in the header of your uh, writing sample. Put your name on it. Okay? Make sure your name's on every page of it. Sometimes things get torn. Sometimes the, the, the cover may go missing. Um, this says notice regarding writing sample. Um, you know, sometimes I think mine just says uh, writing sample. That's it, uh, uh, my heading. Um, it's an edited version of an open universe memorandum assignment for my legal rhetoric and writing class. I actually have a little quibble with this. I wouldn't use the open and closed universe language. Okay? That's sort of legal writing teacher jargon. Um, you got, what's an open universe assignment? What does that mean? What? You can, okay, but you guys did the research, right? So this is a research memo assignment. Call it that. Everyone will get that. If it's a closed research universe assignment, you know, an easy way of, of, of saying, you know, this is a closed, or a better way of saying this is a closed research universe assignment is um, we were limited in writing this assignment, we were limited to using the authorities that appear in this memorandum brief, whatever the case may have been, okay? So that's the easy way of putting that information across. Okay. Um, uh, it indicates which portions of the text uh, uh, were deleted, which I think is great. Um, and it says the citations conform to rules provided in the 18th edition of the Blue Book. Um, I go back and forth on whether or not it's worth uh, making that notation. I would not, I would not, if you're using one of the memos from last semester, say um, this uh, document conforms to the Allwood Citation Manual System of Citation. Allwood is a relatively new citation manual. Okay? It's, it's about five years old. Um, and the chances are, if a lawyer has been in practice much longer than that, they're simply not going to know what it is. And they're going to go, oh my God, it's the wrong citation format. Okay. It's not the wrong citation format. It would take, in, you know, in the, unless, unless your document is being read by, say, the former managing editor of a law review who has absolutely committed the blue book to memory, they're not going to notice, at least with the assignments you did last semester, aren't going to notice the differences between Blue Book and All Allwood Citation. They come down to some very modest changes and abbreviations in case names. One of them abbreviates international INTL period. One is INT apostrophe L. Okay? It's that kind of stuff. 
So don't, don't sweat those differences, and I say don't raise the issue. Okay, you raise the issue, you're, making, you're creating something that's just, it's not worth mentioning. Um, although I do like this 18th, the one thing I like about this 18th edition of the Blue Book thing is maybe it'll take that, you know, that person who, when I was in law school, I think it was the 15th edition maybe, and they'll say, oh my God, I don't know the Blue Book anymore. I need someone who knows the Blue Book, the new Blue Book. Who knows? Okay. But, so, you know, that's potentially dispensable. But otherwise, it's a pretty good note, and it's a model of the kind of thing that you can include. Um, back to page two. Any other stuff about that? I would just underscore because I have heard um, um, comment about, especially when there was a, a larger discrepancy, if you, if you Allward versus Blue Book, um, from employers saying that, well, uh, and again, it does take someone who is hypersensitive to <coughs> precision in Blue Booking, and those people are few and far between when it comes down to the actual practice of law. But if you are sending it um, to maybe um, BNA or illegal, somewhere where um, like citation is going to be a hypersensitive issue, I would think you might want to discuss whether or not disclosing that this is the all wood, something other than the blue book has been used uh, just in case a discrepancy would arise. But I would say 99% of the times it's not going to be an issue and especially um, deferring to the fact that last year, semester's assignments were so minuscule in their differences, yeah. it probably won't make it. And, and if you're really, really worried about it, go through and check your case name abbreviations. Because all that you guys were citing last semester were cases, and that's the only that's the only place where there's a variance in rules between all and the blue book. As I see, people are nodding. Yes, that's right. Okay, so you know you can go back and fix that really quickly, right? Okay. Um, what you need to do, and I'm going to try to speed through this really quickly. I apologize if I'm going fast, but we're going to try to cover a lot of material and give you guys you know like 10 minutes for questions. Um, the thing that that the thing that legal employers are going to be looking for most, besides just basic polish and your ability to, to string together coherent sentences in the English language, um, is complete analysis of one issue. Okay? All that means is one iteration of this crew pack formula that we've been teaching you guys. Right? One issue. I mean, that's, that's at a baseline what they're looking for. So to the extent that you need to cut a document, what you're going to try to do is preserve as much of one issue as you can. Some, of, some people have been coming to me um, uh, and you're trying to get writing samples down to five pages because that's what um, some government employers are asking for. Um, and my recommendation is, you know, pair and pair and pair, but try to preserve at least one issue. I think the thing that's most dispensable in um, the open memo, for example, you did last semester is the conclusion. It's unusual to have both a brief answer and a conclusion in a memorandum of 12 pages in length. So that's the first thing that you could cut. Um, after that, I would say cut one of the big issues. If you organized it as a two-issue memo, you know, cut one or other in its entirety and then preserve the rest. If you're trying to get down to 10 pages, sometimes cutting the facts is an easier way to get from, you know, 11 and a half, say, to 10. Um, Miguel, what have you done when you've done that? Usually I find the shortest memo closest to the page number limit and go with it. Yeah. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. When you're trying to, if you got. You can line edit again. That's another thing I have to do. Just line edit. You would be surprised how many articles you find that you can take out, and because your first writing assignments are so wordy and so verbose that as you get more comfortable being concise, you find a lot of things you can take out. Massive string citations. I had someone, a student, who was this close to a 10-page limit and had, you know, very long string citations in her document. Um, or not even very long, but you can cut down on some of those five case string sites. You know, maybe two cases will do just fine. You're no longer trying to impress your legal rhetoric professor with the um, 
the thoroughness of your research, you're trying to show someone that you can kind of walk the walk when it comes to doing legal analysis, okay? Um, when someone's going to read one of these documents, generally speaking what they do is they're going to read the first page really closely and then they're going to skip towards the discussion, um, if that's not already the first page, and see if you can, you know, can you frame a legal, can you synthesize a legal rule? You know, can they find a coherent, coherent controlling information? Okay, in the issue that you're, that you're analyzing. And there's a reason we teach the CRUPAC formula or the IRAC formula, if you want to call it that. Lawyers are rule-driven people. When we don't know anything about something, that's what we grasp for first. So one of the first things you can expect any reader to do is to see if you can coherently frame a synthesized legal rule, okay? Which, at this point in the game, virtually all of you are doing, right? So that's what you want to model. I had an employer comment on a legal memo I supplied back in the day. It was on a securities law issue, and it was for an international law job, and the rules and regulations were completely um, different. And um, when they offered me the job, I said, you know, I, I liked your writing sample. I don't know what the hell you were writing about, but I could tell that you had control over the statutes and that you walked the person through it. Um, and that was, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty legitimate comment. I mean, they're not going to know all the subject matter that you're writing about, perhaps. Um, but they can tell through your writing and your analysis that you're, you're, you're methodical and you're um, analytical in your approach. Yeah. You don't even have to be right on this. It's much less important for getting a job to have been right on this. I mean, how many people are going to go back and really look up North Carolina, you know, um, uh, respondeat superior law? You know, if you're sort of in the ballpark and you get the general rule right, you're probably in reasonably good shape. Um, now, of course, don't go out and do that in public. Um, and that was, apart from just noting that we're, again, that, that folks in the legal rhetoric office are available to help you if you have more particular questions about cutting, um, cutting, polishing, tone, um, you know, we're, we're, our office hours are posted and we're certainly available to help you and also there's a writing tutor. Um, and with that, and we'll take questions that, actually, do you want to do some questions now or do you want to do the, why don't we, if, does anyone have like questions of the moment? Because we'll take them again at the end as well, either way. Okay, hearing none, we will press on to getting the most out of your summer experience. And this is after the article about, you know, selecting writing samples and... Um, last page of the packet. Yeah, it's the... Oh, there is, by the way, the New Yorker talk of the town piece is exactly what you don't want to do. Um, I encourage you to read that. Um, last part of the packet is putting your best foot forward, getting the most out of your summer experience. This is the part where I say don't get drunk. Okay? Um, it happens. That goes along with, you know, don't send an email to everyone in the firm saying you're basically a slacker. Okay? Um, but there are other sort of more substantive things um, that, that can be said. Um, and, you know, we set them out on this page. There's no such thing as a rough draft. Everything that you do, including the emails that you send internally, model your writing. Um, I don't know what you guys think about that. Yeah. Any anecdotes on that? Everything I send out gets spell check, whether it's a one line or a ten line or a three page email to to whether it be associate or partner, wherever you're working at, every little thing you're you're under the microscope from the second you get your first legal job. There's a tremendous amount of informality in emailing today, not to sound like a curmudgeon, because uh, 'cause I'm not, but there is a lot of informality and um it's I would sort of, even within the law school, um, if you're writing to a professor, if you're writing to someone in an office and you're asking, you're, you're put, you're, and you're asking for something or introducing yourself, you're setting up um, a, a picture of yourself and you're starting out with small eyes and, and, and no punctuation. 
um, it, it instantly builds a picture in the reader's mind that this person um, is not very careful with what they write, um, hasn't given me much respect in formulating the question that they're putting towards me. I mean, I, we certainly respond, et cetera, but I would start getting out of that habit, um, even, especially if you're writing to someone that you're asking something of, like a, a professor, for instance. Be formal in your writing. Um, in your right, to, among friends, um, instant messaging, that's a different world. But you see a lot of that carrying over into this uh, more relaxed, uh, less formal attitude that doesn't translate well into the legal world. So I just throw that out for, uh, for you to chew on and consider next time you're, you think before you hit send. And, and let me put it in, a, in a, maybe a slightly scarier way. Um, true or false, instant messages are discoverable. Okay? Everything you write as a lawyer, understand, it's going to be, you know, in one context or another, potentially discoverable. Uh, actually, <laughs> and actually, just thinking about something, besides grammar, you'd be surprised, I thought of when you brought up instant messenger. Mm -hmm. Someone I worked with this summer... Oh, where, and where did you work? Well, I worked this past summer at a firm, Paley Rothman in Bethesda. Um, started to use, some people use emoticons, you know, like colon slash parentheses with the smiley faces. Don't do that. <laughs> you know, even things that you might think that are fine from something as simple as changing your font, like, oh, I don't like, you know, I like monotype cursive. looks like, no, no cursive script. Just leave it plain, Jane, and just stick to formal professional writing. Yeah. And I guess that sort of, I mean, it's not on the sheet, but that extends to things like dress, right? I mean, I made the joke about not getting drunk, but, I mean, it's really not a joke. No red pants. Um, no, no red pants. He works with the guy who wore red pants to work. No red pants. He works with the guy who wore red pants to work. Did the guy who wore red pants to work get an offer? Well, he's going somewhere else, but... Okay. Yeah. Not there. He was the talk of the office for a whole week about these red pants. Um, the, I think notes three and four here are quite important. You know, you want to get... I mean, it is... Your summer experience is an interview. It's an extended interview. You want to get to know the, the lawyers in the office. Um, Actually, you had sort of an interesting situation with that, didn't you? Did somebody, did somebody um, try to poach you once you got to know them? Oh, in an interview? No, in, when you were working that summer? Oh, yeah. But you mean, oh, I mean, that'll happen in a lot of places. I mean, summer jobs are competitive. Um, everyone's trying to get either a good letter recommendation or they're trying to work in with this part, partner and this person. Um, you will be challenged. Um, I personally had somebody who challenged me over baseball tickets to the firm picnic. Um, things as simple as that, but I mean, he just handled them all in a professional way. You know, he did it in the front of in front of people. You know, you just kind of smile and and then you pull them to the side and you put them in their place later. But you always maintain your professionalism that way. Things are extinguished in a peaceful manner, and you go on and have a good summer. We have a question actually. Um, it can be a, a number of things. I mean, in terms of, for example, if you're working in a firm, you have to bill hours. Um, someone I worked with every day was like, how many hours have you built today? How many hours have you built today? Have you worked with this partner? Have you worked with that partner? Have you met them? Have you met them? Um, what kind of assignments have you been getting? Um, I mean, people analyze everything. For example, our firm was business casual. Um, so you didn't have to wear a full suit. And one person wasn't wearing full suits. So, you know, every day he was like, oh, so they wore a suit today. Why didn't you wear a suit today? And, I mean, you'd be surprised, but the kind of things that you see people do during finals week when they're going crazy, you'll see them from some people throughout the whole summer. Yeah. Um, Distance yourself from most people. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
And, and this is not just a private sector phenomenon, and, and there's a lot of um, mis misconception about, well, you know, uh, public interest, nonprofit world, a little more loosey-goosey, things a little bit more, hey, no way, um, no way. Uh, federal government, uh, same rules of engagement apply. You want to be a professional all the time. Someone's going down that road. You distance yourself from them. You don't need to be part of that. Um, you're always being looked at and you're always being examined, not to be um, sort of paranoid about it, but uh, just it's, it's just a level of professionalism. They want to see if you're going to be a good representative of this organization uh, at any given time. Seems like a lot of common sense, but boy, it, it, it lacks out there sometimes and sometimes staggering. And you'll see it from all schools, from the best to the worst, uh, the issues are redundant. So it's not a matter. It's not a matter of intellect. It's just a matter of sometimes of um, not appreciating where you are, not understanding the dynamics of a professional environment. Sometimes from, that's from lack of exposure. You haven't had the experience yet. You know, right, right out of school, never into a working environment. Um, when in doubt, chill out. <laughs> I don't know. And but, you know, pull back from from behavior that could be um, rule discretionable. Ab absolutely, and that you know, I mean, and that, I mean that that maintaining professionalism is, you know, I mean, that, that's through everything. It's having an appropriate cover letter and how you comport yourself. What we used to do in one of the cover letter workshops, I'm, I'm not sure if we did it this year, but we, we had an example of an inappropriate cover letter. It was a cover letter, it was an application for a judicial clerkship um, at a student at a, from a very prominent law school located in Cambridge, Massachusetts. <laughs> um, uh, you know, um, that was a three-page summary of, of this graduating law student's views on the Constitution. Um, you know, not particularly useful to the federal judge to whom he applied and, you know, whose clerks subsequently photocopied and have been passing around this cover letter for years since. Um, you know, so it, part of it is you kind of need to know your place. Um, but then there's, as we sort of get into the questions to ask assigning attorneys, it's, I understand how that can be a very difficult, it can be a difficult sort of line to walk because especially as a rising second year student or as a second year student, you know, in an externship, you're not especially experienced and you may be afraid to ask questions. Um, don't be, okay? Don't be. Um, maybe if you're a first year associate, you know, you'll get less of a, of a free pass on what you might think of as, as very basic or even stupid questions, although I think when you're a, when you're a rising 2L, there's really no such thing um, when you're actually in law practice. Um, well, now I'm trying to imagine them, and I'm sure we all could, but, okay, don't be afraid to ask questions, questions of the kind that, we're, that are listed here. Um, we did last week in my classes, um, uh, as an, a sort of parallel example to the re team research exercise that you're doing now, I said that you might be approached as a summer job by somebody saying something like, you know, I think there's a cost shifting provision in CERCLA. Um, can you go find that for me? And then, you know, the, the eager beaver response as a, as a rising, you know, law student is, I know research, yeah, okay, I can do that. Um, and, you know, you may or may not be able to find out what CERCLA is, certainly is. You know, um, my students were, did a very good job in finding that out before I, before I prompted them. But you may not be in a situation where you're gonna where you're gonna be able to do that. That's a great time to ask. Um, I actually had that happen to me. Um, somebody asked me about CEQA, and I just went, "Oh, okay, what is that?" And I, and you know, it took me like an hour. This is sort of you know back in the dark old days. It took me an hour to find out what CEQA was. That was a waste of time. It's a waste of my time. It wasn't time that I reported as billable time. 
Um, it was just, you know, it was just me being stupid. Um, and I just could have gotten out of it just by asking a question. And that's all, when you ask questions like that, it's an invitation. It's an invitation for the person to, you know, to sort of teach you something, and that's a way to interact with them. Now, you don't want to abuse that. You don't want to be the person who's constantly asking questions. So when you're getting an assignment, you know, try to ask the questions that you think are going to come up. You know, try to anticipate what questions you're going to have about what the product's going to look like, about if there is something about the law that you don't understand or that you think you need to understand or about sources that you need. Um, ask those quickly um, and, and at once, okay, so you don't have to keep going back. Um, a couple of other things really quickly, and then we're gonna, we'll have 10 minutes for, for questions. Um, take your textbooks this summer or next year to, to, an to an externship or internship. Take Newman and Coons with you. Um, if, you uh, if you are at a job this summer, the chances are you are going to get to teach one of your um, fellow summer clerks to write. Okay? Your Newman textbook will be handy as you do this. Um, I have the story of Lorita from last year who was working in justice, um, whose uh, fellow clerks from, you know, shall we say other law schools in the Northeast that will remain nameless, um, kept, you know, borrowing the books from her. Um, you know, and it was nice that she could help them and, and sort of help them to learn how to write. And don't think that her superiors didn't get that that was happening. They understood, okay? Um, take especially Coons, the stuff that we're sort of going at a lightning rate through about legislative history research, regulatory research. We understand that you're not mastering this stuff. It's meant to be a quick and, quick and dirty and not particularly thorough introduction to the universe of this kind of research, okay? But you've got a text. You've been exposed to it once. Like every other skill that you're doing, that you're practicing this year in your rhetoric class, the more you do it, the better you'll get at it. The story that I told my classes today about legislative history research is actually one of the dean's fellows in rhetoric. One of Professor Christensen's dean's fellows was working at the FAA last summer. This is a second-year law student. And the lawyers in his office got an assignment that required them to do legislative history research. And they all sort of looked at each other and said, what? You know, how do we do that? And he was able to say, uh, I think I know, you know, and brought out Coons, and he did the assignment, okay? That happens. Um, uh, the woman who I just mentioned, she, she worked for Justice last summer, Rising 2L. She, was writing, she wrote at least one appellate brief for the Department of Justice. Okay, that is something that as a fourth, fifth-year associate in a private firm, you, wouldn't, you, you might take the lead in doing that. Okay, she was doing this before her second year. Some of you this summer will be writing judicial opinions. You will. That'll be published, almost certainly. I think we've had at least one person every year wind up doing that. You know, it just happens. Um, you know, bring your professional tools to work. Take Newman, take Coons, you know, take your notes from legal rhetoric. And, you know... Take, oh yeah, your book from Civil Procedure, Rules of Civil Procedure. And before we get questions, I'm going to, say, I'm going to do two things. One, can you raise your hand if the sign-up sheet hasn't reached you yet? Okay, they need to come forward. Wherever they wind up in the back, send them forward. Okay. Second, I have a message from Avis, um, Avis Sanders, uh, let's see, um, about the externship fair that you just attended. How many of you dropped off resumes today? Excellent. Very good. Um, what she said was, just because you've dropped off a resume, that doesn't mean you really applied for the position. Okay, and I don't know if, if, the, if the folks from the externship office were, were emphasizing this. 
um, to you, but she asked that I say a word about it. Follow up. Follow up with a cover letter. And this is a great opportunity. You can finally begin the cover letter that says, you know, I really enjoyed meeting with you at the externship fair at Washington College of Law, and then start detailing your interest in the position. Include another resume. If a writing sample is appropriate, you didn't drop off one today, you can send a writing sample. If it's appropriate and if they ask for one. You know, follow up, send a package. That was her, um, that was her uh, uh, advice for you guys. Um, and I guess we got, I don't know if we have other things. Or we, we, I know we had a question over here. Let's start with the questions. Let's, we'll let's get some questions. I know we had a question. No, no? <laughs> okay. Change your mind. <laughs> other, other questions. I know we, co we covered a lot of stuff very quickly. Again, it seems like some basic stuff, but just um, questions to ask assigning attorneys. Don't forget to bring a notepad and pen to this meeting. Um, if, if those of you who attended the networking session yesterday, um, I, I did one on informational interviewing, and I started out saying this, and I'll say it again for the larger audience, it, it never fails it to amaze me. I do a lot of the alumni, I do all the alumni counseling. Um, as well as 3L counseling. Uh, but when I'm having a conversation with someone, and it doesn't have to be for my capacity, but put myself as a managing partner in a firm or uh, an executive director of a, of a nonprofit, and you're meeting with me, and I'm giving you information, and you're sitting there eagerly nodding and saying, oh, wow, that's great, and you're not writing any of this down, I, I really am beginning to suspect whether or not you understand what I'm telling you is important and I want you to follow through with it or not and you just lose tremendous face, your, your credibility. When you're at your job, bring a pen, bring a notepad with you. Uh, just these questions here in part two, do you have a model or sample type of document? What kind of, what kind of how do you want me to communicate this to you? Is it a memorandum? Is how much time should I spend on this? Will show so much advanced planning on your part and that person will be thinking, thank God you're asking me those questions because I'm, you know, I'm busy. I don't, I'm expecting, I'm assuming that you sort of know, and of course you don't, you're brand new, I've been here for 15 years, I know what's going on, but you don't know, and yet you're asking these questions, show me that you really have a professional attitude, that you con you're concerned about not taking too much time to do this, you're concerned about giving me the right work product, and you're taking this seriously. These small things will make such a difference. Yeah. Actually, adding on to that, um, in addition to bringing a notepad and a pen to the meeting, I think one reason is to write it all down and to show that you're actively listening. Mm -hmm. Two, one thing I do before I leave any part, any attorney's office, whether it's been when I was working with the government, government agency, judge, firm, always repeat the assignment. Mm -hmm. Because the, the biggest thing I've learned is sometimes you can walk out and you wrote it down, but I'll get back to my desk and say, what exactly am I doing again? Or in the middle of it, you know, a lot of times they'll give you four questions to research at the same time. You were really still writing two when they went on to three. Um, so it's always good to repeat whatever it is. And another thing I picked up um, with the notepad and pen is no matter whenever you're walking around your workplace, carry it. The biggest thing employers love to ask you, anybody in the office always loves to ask you, what are you doing? What are you working on? And they always want to see that you're busy. So if you carry it, mine is going, the only time I don't carry it is if I'm going to the bathroom. But if you're walking down the hall, if you, you could be going to chit-chat and they, you look like you're busy. It's something about... <laughs> <laughs> but they want to see you working, though, because if you don't look busy all the time, and somebody's thinking, you know... Do I, we really need that because guy? Because they don't see you sitting at your desk working. So you can sit at your desk for eight hours working, and nobody knows that you were there. But if, you know, that one random time somebody saw you walk down the hall to go get an assignment from somebody, but you had a notepad and a pen in your hand, they're like, oh, you know what? 
they're really busy every time I see them. And the little things make it make the difference. Yeah. Um, there was. I thought I saw a hand over here. No. The hand yeah. resurrected. It came <laughs> up again. Right. Was they was they hand raised? <laughs> About what? Work product. Okay. Okay. This is a, there's a question about confidentiality. Um, and thank you. Um, a question about confidentiality and when you're working during the summer, um, how much can you really talk about what you're doing? Um, that's a, that is actually a fantastic question. Um, you most certainly cannot mention by name. Well, actually, I should say this. There, there's sort of great, like sort of bright line divide, you know, between stuff that's public and if something's been, you know, put in court, say in a court filing, it is public, and stuff that isn't public, stuff that's private, that's secret. Um, I generally think it's a bad idea to talk about clients by name, um, even if stuff really is out in the pub, in the, you know, out in the public. Um, I know some attorneys who think it is inappropriate to even disclose the fact that you are representing someone. Okay. Um, other, and I think jurisdiction to jurisdiction, that varies tremendously because my firm used to advertise who we represented. Um, you, really, you want to share, if you're talking about anything, you want to shear off any possible identifying characteristics about it. Um, I suppose if you're, if you're working in an office where you're, uh, if you're working for a public defender and you're doing stuff relating to a, uh, you know, an assault case. I suppose if you're talking with a, a spouse or significant other, you can say, yeah, we had this assault case and this guy did X, but you want to be very careful about, you know, not identifying that person. If it's, a, you know, if it's something that's prominent or something that's in the newspaper. If you're dealing, if you're working for justice, some of you are going to encounter, you're going to be maybe seeing grand jury testimony. Understand that that's secret. And if you inadvertently disclose grand jury testimony, that's a felony, okay, in addition to a, to a work product thing. Looks good on your bar application. Yeah, so I mean, you know, when in doubt, you know, just keep it zipped. <laughs> um, there was a question here and then one there. First here. Oh, thank you. I tell people that when I was when I was receiving writing samples, I think anything up to 15 is okay. Um, other people say 10 to 12 um, is okay if they don't say anything or if they say short. Um, you know, don't abuse it. Uh, some of you are going to write 30-page memos this summer. That's, you know, too much. To uh, the extent you have a repertoire, you start building a repertoire of writing samples, you can always offer them. Would you prefer a shorter, a briefer writing sample, an advocacy piece, an analytical piece? And that's even, oh, great. Well, we'll take and, this. Uh, ab short long. Absolutely. I have, I have my, my short writing sample is eight pages. My long one is 25. And when I applied for this job, I sent the short one, and they said, can you send the long one? <laughs> Question. Uh -huh. um, well, understanding that the basic format is, who you are, what job you're looking for, what you can do for the firm, you know, or, or agency, you know, and, and what that isn't on your resume that, you know, that sort of makes you a good candidate and how you can help. Yeah, I wouldn't say there's a major difference. Try to keep them to one page. 
um, when you can. I mean, some of you are going to have such fantastic experience in particular areas that you may go beyond that, but the chances are that experience is going to show up on your resume. Um, I had one other thing to add because we're, we're getting close. Um, it's another bit of advice. Ask, wherever you go this summer or next year, ask about the firm, agency, department, whatever's policy relating to computer research. Okay, some of you are going to get to, um, you're going to get to a, a, a job at, say, a nonprofit or, um, you know, at, at, at a private firm, and you're going to want to use Westlaw and Lexis, just, you know, just go nuts with it. There is a, and I've told my classes about this, there is a probably, but maybe not apocryphal story about the uh, WCL student who ran up a $50,000 Westlaw bill doing, the, because the pricing is different in the private sector. Running, doing, you know, very expensive searches for a research project that she was doing over the summer. And you don't want to leave your firm holding, holding the, you know, the, the bag on that um, because someone has to pay the bill, okay? Um, so ask what the policy is. I had a student who worked for the ACLU um, before coming to law school and had done some legal research, and the ACLU's position when he was there was that before any Lexis or Westlaw search was done, you had to have specific written approval from a supervising attorney, okay? Not even a, super, a supervising law student who was working with an undergrad, nothing. It had to come from an attorney. Um, so ask about that before you just dive in and start using Westlaw and Lexis whole hog. If I may just, uh, just yeah. to piggyback on the, the cover letter, because um, it's important, uh, differences. You all come with a varied backgrounds, professional, some of you right out of school with not much experience doing this stuff. Um, your frames of reference are, are, are different. So when you say, well, common sense is different than what one normally does, um, a legitimate question, but what you have normally done, maybe you came from marketing, is very different than someone came from the engineering field. So uh, really implore you to look at the Career Services uh, website and also come into a counselor, sit down, let's look at your cover letter, because some of you uh, have the formula down, other of you have other formulas down that are absolutely inappropriate, and I will give you a sort of a, a bright line difference um, where it might be appropriate in many industries to show what you're looking to get out of the organization and the kinds of skills you're hoping to build um, from that experience, uh, that's not what you want to put in a legal cover letter. To the contrary, you want to be an advocate of what you're going to do for this organization, very proactive and less egocentric, what, is, what can you give me, and more proactive, what I can produce for you. So that's just an example. So uh, We had one question. One more question here. Yes? No? It would be, with, with a caveat, that would be an honor code violation, okay? Yes, your, your, Lexus and Nex, your Lexus and Westlaw passwords are not good at your summer jobs. Now, there are some, there are some exceptions to that, um, that, and you should explore these thoroughly with your Lexus and Westlaw rep before just going and doing it. My understanding is that there is an exception for nonprofit work. Um, I'm not familiar with the exception. But, so you know, check with Lexis and Westlaw about this. And I think there's also an exception if you're doing work for a professor in the building. Or a journal or moot court. Certainly if you're taking classes in the summer. But you can't go out and say, you know, hey, law firm, hire me and you get my free Westlaw. <laughs> and a lot of them will say, a lot, a lot, solo practitioners, smaller firms, they won't ask questions and they're hoping. Don't. don't wink, wink. Yeah. Don't. Don't. Okay? Don't. It is an honor code violation. You all, you probably breathed right through it as we all do, you know, the little, you know, terms of, of use. Yeah, you've all agreed that, you know, you're bound by those terms of use. Okay? <laughs> you're on the hook. 
Uh, Miguel had one last thing to say, and then we'll wrap up. One more thing, since we're talking about summer jobs, um, I don't know if this session already passed. I saw signs there was for 1Ls for the author of Guerrilla Tactics on how to get the legal job of your dreams. Best advice I ever got, and I got at the end of my 1L summer, buy it now. And not only that, but she also writes a book about how to get the best out of your, your summer experience. What, what um, was the name of the book again? Guerrilla Tactics to Getting the Legal Job of Your Dreams. That's one about... It details everything, the whole job hunt process. And I've used it first year, second year. I still use it again this year. Um, I can't remember the name of the book about your summer experience, but if you look up her name under Amazon, a ton of books comes out. Um, Kim Walton. Kim Walton. She gave a presentation already. I'm quoted yeah. throughout all of her books. <laughs> yeah. The second edition is coming out of her Guerrilla Tactics book. It's a, it's a good and if you guys have additional questions about writing samples and, and of, uh, things of that nature, you know, again, see the rhetoric folks. Other questions about, you know, getting an externship, getting a career, please, you know, drop by the Office of Career Services. And if I could have the sign-in sheets just brought forward, and if you didn't get a chance to sign in, come on forward now. Thanks. Yeah, they're duplicates. So. There you are. Oh, don't, please don't take it, though. <laughs> oh, 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 no, these are, oh, no, you're looking for a, uh, this is a sign-in sheet. Yeah, they're right up on the corners of the... Oh, when is it due, really? Yeah, this is a sign-in sheet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there are plenty of, there are extra handouts. Today's the 25th, so it's due Tuesday. Oh, okay, I could probably look at it right now. Um, yeah, I could look at it over the weekend. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, Sorry. no problem. Yeah. Um, let's see, let's see email address. Um, just Miguel Martinez at America. That's probably the easiest. I'll still going for you. Everything you thought it was, it was. more and more accepted jewelry, um, and it just depends on the image you want to present, number one. Number two, other people are like, hey, this is, this is the full package, this is what you get. I want to be honest about it. If you don't want to work with someone like this, it depends on, so it depends on where your head's at. Well, that's how I want to be about it, but I know, like, where you're going to be. Yeah, and where are you interested in? Well, I'm looking for a job, but I'm not sure.